Hello and welcome to episode 23 of, of Poetry Podcast. I'm here today with the poet Jason B. Crawford. Jason B. Crawford, they, them, is a writer born in Washington, D.C., raised in Lansing, Michigan. Their debut chapbook collection, Summertime Fine, is out through Variant Lit. Their second chapbook, Twerkable Moments, is out from Paper Nautilus Press. Their third chapbook, Good Boy, is out from Neon Hemlock Press. Their debut full-length Year of the Unicorn Kids is just out um, March 2022 from Sundress Publications. Crawford holds a Bachelor of Science in Creative Writing from Eastern Michigan University and is the co-founder of the Knights Library Magazine. Crawford is the winner of the Courtney Valentine Prize for Outstanding Work by a Millennial Artist, Vela Chapbook Contest, and Variant Lit Chapbook Contest. They were a finalist for the Tom Howard slash Margaret Reed 2021 Poetry Contest and the 2021 Outright Chapbook Contest winner in poetry. Their work can be found in Split Lip Magazine, Glass Poetry, Four-Way Review, Voicemail Poems, Freeze Ray Poetry, and Had, among others. They are current poetry MFA candidate at the New School. Hello and welcome to podcast, Jason. Hello. Thanks for having me. Would you like to start us off with a poem? Of course. Um, I think I'm going to start here. Hide and seek. It starts so simple. A boy lost in a field covered in twigs spread thick to the fingertips. He learns to play dead, how to still his quake earthquaking chest while others hive around him in search their loud howls drifting towards the timber in wait. Most of the others have all been found and hung to dry at the wrists by this point. But this cannot end until all of the faggots have burned. Childish game they play. Who can spill the most blood into the fire pit to watch? The flames glow neon. How to turn a boy into a blooming field of flames. The art of hunting with a lit torch and palms full of gasoline. They continue to scour. They cannot find the boy. He stays hidden. Thank you for that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the relationship of your chapbooks to your full length, since um, you know we're kind of celebrating Year of the Unicorn Kids today, and um, I just want to mention for listeners that it has this, like, first of all, like just visually, like this beautiful cover this bright, um, it's like this, you know, pink and purple, like rainbow palette. And, um, and you posted a photo on Twitter of like your, all your books together and they look so good together. Um, and so I thought it was really interesting that they had like really beautiful aesthetics together. And then I was thinking about, I was curious about how your poems, um, related between like this, you know, the smaller chapbooks and the larger, cause I feel like for listeners, that might be a helpful thing to hear oh yeah um first off so the year of the unicorn kids cover is one of my favorite things that i've been able to put out um it was done by my friend uh james m wine w-i-n-e he's an amazing artist queer artist that lives um in california and um it was one of those things where i saw this picture specifically i saw this picture um, on Twitter, and I reached out to him and asked if he had um, a website. He gave me his Instagram. I got to his website eventually, and um, I immediately asked him about, you know, commission work for the cover, being this picture. Um, and I, the other, my first two chapbooks, um, Summertime Fine and uh, Twerkable Moments, both of those covers are actually done by my sister. So my little sister, wow. Um, and and 
it's the same way. Like she was trying to draw something for me for uh summertime fine. Like we had this idea and I was like, oh, I know exactly what I want, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw a picture of hers, which she calls wildflowers. And um, clearly if you look at near the unicorn kids, there's a lot of flowers on that too. Mm-hmm. But um, it was called wildflowers and it was so gorgeous. And it was, it just, it was like the red in it and like the, the wind of blowing. And I was like, this is, this is what summertime fine is, right? Mm. This beauty. And um, I asked her if I could just, you know, pay her for that one. And she said, yes. Um, and I was very excited about it. And then um, ironically enough, I have it hanging up in my, my room oh, now. Wow. Um, she, she gave it to me for Christmas. Um, like, so I got the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then she, she did the same thing for, for twerkable moments. I was like, I need something drawn up. And this is the idea I had. And she, she started to draw it and then she flipped and had a new idea and then did this wonderful um, cascading, like rainbow across it um, to like give this idea of movement and dance within rain. Um, so the, the three that I really coordinated were those, the, the, these three. Good Boy was more of uh, my roommate who does graphic design and uh, Dave uh, kind of going back and forth. Dave uh, Ring is the person that runs Neon Hemlock, um, going back and forth with what I wanted. I just knew I wanted something with like the sense because Good Boy is the closest thing, like the closest chapbook I have to Year of the Unicorn Kids. Um, and it was a lot of like feeling drowned in gender. Oh. So trying to like release myself from that drowning in gender. So having the, the boy underwater, you can't really see his face, um, but you can tell he is trapped, but also maybe feeling set free. Oh. So. Wow, thank you for that. I love um, hearing that it is intentional too. Um, that's incredible. And I had no idea the cover for Year of Unicorn Kids was commissioned specifically for your book, which is amazing. Um, I mean, I just, poets don't get to, I mean, that doesn't happen very often at all. And um, I was just talking with a friend, um, Omar Akiwi about covers and, and talking about like when it looks like a cover, we were talking about a specific cover, but it was like, a cover in search of a book instead of a book in search of a cover or like it was it you wasn't like thinking there was a cover that wasn't quite thinking about the manuscript and but like this the relationship's very very close right um and it shows it just shows um well, and um what i will say is this painting was already done it okay. was edited okay um, for the book but it was something where i got to go out and yeah. find that's but no, workable awesome. moments was commissioned specifically for wow. that. is so cool. Thank you for talking about that. No um, what about the relationship of the poems? Are those sep- are those separate projects or all those in t- you know, are they are there poems across them that appear in your the unicorn kids? Um yeah, so yeah, good boy is the closest mm-hmm. um for sure because there's poems within good boy and um and your unicorn kids are for sure um the same poems however i kind of wrote good boy as a prelude mm. or for your unicorn kids so it was like a hey you know this is what you're expecting because i had already had your the unicorn kids in process at this oh, point okay. yeah. and then i wrote um the long poem which is rent and that you know takes up a good last portion of the book. I wrote that, and I was like, "Well, this poem itself is a chapbook, but let me throw a couple other, you know, anchors in the book." And mm. it kind of when I wrote that book, that um, or when I wrote that poem, or when mm. I wrote that, um, it actually changed here the Unicorn Kids because it wasn't in there. And I wrote the poem and I sent it over to Aaron and Aaron was like, yeah, we can include that, which felt really good. Um, There are poems from Summertime. I think there's one poem from Summertime Vine in there that I can specifically mention. I don't think I included any others, mainly because Summertime Vine itself was me really talking about 
blackness and survival of summer for mm. the black body. Um, also thinking about blackness in terms of how do we relate to um, the Ferguson cases? How do we relate to George Floyd? How do we relate to Eric Garner? I wrote that book to specifically speak about what happens in summer to black people. Mm. And this is such a queer book. I didn't include all the queerness in Summertime Fine. Mm. Um, and I also wrote Summertime Fine to be a, a sense of joy too. Mm. Like I wanted blackness in summer to have something to laugh and joke and enjoy. And then you also have to, you can't talk about that without talking about the the rest of it. Uh, Twerkable Moments has a couple poems in there as well. But again, we're just talking about the 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 difference between joy and dance and then, you know, dancing for survival. Um, so each project I typically go in and I have like what I want to talk about. And then I try to like gather the poems that way. Um, so, so Year of the Unicorn of Kids was really not any different. It was a lot of, I know what I want to talk about. Let's go ahead and get there. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I think it, to hear about the separateness of projects. And um, I mean, I, something I see when I do manuscript consultations can be that there are so many, and this can work, but like, you know, I've heard Carl Phillips say on, on another podcast, like, you know, like that first book is asked to do so many things and we ask it to hold so many things. And sometimes it's just like busting at the seams. So to be like, oh, look, I'm going to let off steam with these other chat books that will follow what they need to follow. And then I can focus more on, on the big, like the heart of the project here, um, which is just really, really good work and um, hard work. But for sure, for sure. I was wondering if you could talk about what are, or who I should say, are some of your touchstone poets? Since this is National Poetry Month and we think a lot about relationships and um, how we get here and the writing life and all that, and hopefully supporting the hell out of poets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we're being super honest, I have, I'm so grateful to have the lineage of poetry that I do. I, there's so many people that have a touched this book, right? Um, metaphysically, you know, physically, um, spiritually, like it's not just, you know, people that went through and actually looked at the book, but the people I was thinking about in terms of when I was writing it and, and not just like, oh, I'm thinking about trans people, right? As a trans person, like thinking about trans people or I'm thinking about, you know, queer people that identify as pansexual, bisexual, like, yeah, I'm th it was like, also I'm thinking about how Denez Smith would write a poem, right? How Jonah Mixon Webster would describe the situation. What would happen if Torin was, uh, Torin A. Great House was here, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of it is based after, you know, reading Sam Sachs or um, reading Malcolm Tariq, like um, Tarek Dobbs reading. So like, there's a lot of people that inspired me into this book. Um, but then I have my, my real life loves that also help me make the book, right? So like uh, Ji Yoon Yoon um, is an amazing poet um, and friend that helped edit the book. Taylor Bias, of course, I talk about her every single interview I have and she knows that. And she knows this, she's gonna be in this one too. <laughs> <laughs> like, Taylor um, is a person that's you know relentless with letting me know if the poem is right or wrong, um, working with and through poems, Lanny Stabile, uh, with Sam Herschel Wynn. Like these are people that I feel I am better off for knowing. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I don't just write a poem and think of the lineage of being, you know, in the same lineage as, as Jericho Brown or, oh, I'm writing these poems because um, Terrence Hayes wrote a poem this way. I'm thinking of my audience are my friends and these are the people that I want to write towards yeah. and I want them to be able to either see themselves in the poems or at least tell me that they see me in the poem mm -hmm. um, but one of my all-time 
biggest influences has to be Morris Marshall. Um, they are a, a queer, non-binary trans writer that's from and lives in Detroit. Uh, they just had a chapbook get picked up finally. It's like, you know, finally, 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 but they went to Eastern and I met them through some friends. And um, a person that champions Black work, a person that champions queer work, a person that champions, you know, the people, the trans people, that is, that's what I am, I, and I inspire, you know, I inspire to do. And they they do it so lovingly, right? Um, so having someone like that be some anywhere in my my realm is just so rewarding and so fulfilling, and um, I, I can't say enough how grateful I am to have people like that. Yeah, absolutely, and just amen because you know the the peers. I just think like the peers that you have, those, like, that's the biggest gift. That's the, you know, I know that, that folks want like amazing mentors who are famous and they want like all these other things. They want these pubs, and, but it's like the actual treasure is that you don't realize that there aren't that many poets actually. And so like the people you're with and you support and like, you kind of grow up in poetry together. Like you didn't grow up in the same schools or in the same towns, but like you grow up in poetry together. And um, I mean, I think, I think it's CD Wright who has an amazing poem about like the way poets kind of get weeded out of life by like hardship and all these other things. And, and that there aren't actually, and like in the end, there aren't that many. Um, and it's so precious. Um, on, on that note, would you like to read Friends We Love? I would love to. Um, so this poem is actually very much a, a true, true story, um, or it is a continual true story of uh, my dear friend Alex and how they are, um, and continually a person that no matter how long it's been since I've spoken with them, um, as open and willing to be there and protect and care for me. And um, so they had to make it in the book. Um, friends we love for Alex. What friends I have to open their palms to me and show the bed of roses left growing wild in the trenches of their veins. Nightly, I call them to say I survived another day but I was sad. This to mean my body was left a discarded mess. They are the first to know of my random hookups, would be the ones to know my death via the missing text back in Apple location. I listen as their words water me, patch the sap dripping from my quickly drying skin. I know they are the only sunlight I need to bask in, alive, petals full and growing towards them. Thank you. Thank you. So I have a couple questions that are kind of entwined. Um, and one is one is I guess less a question, something I'd just love to hear more from you. And um, and the first is more of a question, which is the um your book really had me thinking about love and violence. And um and I think about, I mean, I'm one of my favorite authors is Iris Murdoch. I'm sure I've said that a billion times here. Um, but she talks about, you know, she's she's such a novelist of, of thinking about love and the many kinds of love. But there's, it's just not one love, right? There's like thousands of different kinds and inflections and um, between people. And um, I was wondering if, if, you know, with the concepts of, of love and violence that sometimes can start acting like these kind of two weights or like this balance, like there's something between them. I was wondering if there's a third term that 
maybe and spoken in Year of the Unicorn Kids that you see as moderating those concepts? Or if, I mean, you can say, no, there's absolutely no, con- there's no concept moderating. There's no wrong way to answer this. I was just curious if there was like something else you'd want to put in there and be like, yeah, but there's also this or um, conceptually. Um, I think, well, okay. So for me, I think a lot of that moderation of love and violence is, um, it's, it comes down to a couple of different things, but one of the biggest things for me is thinking about uh, the idea of masculinity and and uh, toxic and the toxic masculine, but also thinking about uh, safety and what we consider a safe space, right? So, in most of the poems in which violence is occurring. Um, which is most of the book, but most of the poems in which violence is occurring, the actual like violence, which is not the actual undertone of the violence is the idea of thinking that you are in a safe space or believing that queer people in this space have some sort of like safety and then it being revealed that the safety is not true that's not really there and what I was the the third term or the third the idea or the connector there is to say yes we're talking about love yes we're talking about violence the reason that they're one in the same is because for a queer person for a trans person um for a person that's not on the cishet spectrum right and for I mean yes for a black person for a, a brown person you know for any Asian person we don't have the same spaces of safety as cis het white people. It's just not, it's non-existent. So there's no way for me in any sense to feel like I am safe. And that's what I wanted to portray. And I mean, just, I mean, honest, a hundred percent honest, just a couple of days ago, if not last two days, someone walked into a gay club here in New York and tried to light it on fire. That's a space in which we are supposed to be safe. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about 1936. We're not talking about 1996. We're not even talking about 2015. We're talking about two days ago. Mm -hmm. We're not safe anywhere. And we want to be, but it's so hard to write about love and joy and sex and cruising and any of this without addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that um, incredibly generous answer. And um, I know it's like hard to ask questions that are obviously rooted in the work, but then asking a question that's like above or beyond um, the work in some ways, like I was just listening to the the latest um, Sheila Hetty podcast with David Naiman on between the covers. And she was talking about like the art object and how like, you know, it like answers for itself. And so it's like to speak of it, it's, it's almost, there's like this element of it being like superfluous because you don't want to um, it's like, well, it's in the palm, right? Um, like, of course it's in the palm. Uh, so, so, so I'm like, absolutely yes to that. And at the same time, I am asking. So thank you. Um, and this, I mean, this kind of, this kind of, um, dovetails nicely into the next question, which was, um, you know, so I think I find your imagery just so powerful, um, in Year of the Unicorn Kids and so striking, and it really calls your readers attention to these, um, these concepts we've been talking about, um, especially like, I'm so glad you brought up safety because that was something, um, because like there are elements, right? Uh, like elements of the book, I just find like terrifying um, that it's just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like I'm worried for the speaker, you know, like, oh, like, oh, park at night. Like, it's just, it's scary. Like there are things that are really scary to me. Um, but the imagery of like roadkill or butchery or um, like, like these really like kind of fleshy, violent, but also like inflicted by humans, right? Like not, uh, not like, 
even like animal in the wild necessarily, but like about humans, um, human violence. And um, so there's like that, but then there's also your like, what I kind of see of like a bigger, like almost like softer approach of like the organic and the natural imagery. Um, and it's especially like this really comes, it, it's cross your book, but it comes out for me in your long poem debt towards the end. And um, like, you're not, you're not leaving your reader in just one space, right? Mm. Like you've provided these different, these different movements through your poems that like they have access. Um, so I think it offers like a form of relief and it offers like a form of shelter and like a different way. Um, and that these things are very much entwined, right? You can't really like pull them apart. Or... I think when I was, yeah. So when I was writing the book originally, um, the sections were a little differently. The original, original book had a lot more of a divide of being a black person and a queer person and I was like how can I talk about these separately and then maybe mash them together without um and I I really wanted to blend that line so much more and say I am a black queer trans writer why do I have to be either or why can't I just be right um so when I when I did that um I tried a couple ways of like sectioning them the poems and um what really came to me was and and this was something that Aaron um who you know is my publisher mm-hmm. for Sundress uh, lovely I, we love Aaron mm-hmm. the one thing that she said to me was you're moving in the book in a couple different ways you're moving in a linear time mm-hmm. right you're going from um being a child to closer to now and then you're also moving in a spatial region from side to side so you're moving across um, different spaces to talk about incidences that are happening in a space Um, and then of course you're also like you have this poem or I have this poem that that is debt that you're talking about that is me talking about the specifics of um, real Realtering the the reality of myself to say what happens if I can continually create a space in which I get to have I get to be queer and I get to have my love, but none of those spaces are going to work out because in, until I can change the dynamic of what queerness is, it doesn't matter how many times I replay it, it's going to end the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how you know when I was thinking about the book, I, or when I was thinking about the re-editing of the book. So, you know, like you said, arranging poems is crazy, right? But like the way that we mm-hmm. rearranged the poems was to have them work within that type of space-time continuum, I guess. And then also like that reality piece coming in last. Hmm. Yeah. And you, did you end up, I mean, you must have ended up, um, like troubling the linear chronology too, right? Because, um, I mean, that's something I really loved, right? Is that, um, I mean, I always feel like I'm going to get into sticky philosophical waters, is, <laughs> not to mix metaphors, but totally to mix metaphors. Um, as soon as I say anything about like the self or the historical self or um, mm-hmm. something about the, the self as, you know, existing in all, in all the times of the self at once, um, that, you know, the past is like in your body, but now in the present. And, um, and I think that really came through, um, really beautifully, particularly with like boyhood or, or childhood or, you know, um, uh, friends, boy, you know, and so that, that kind of like very much folded in. I think, yeah, for sure. I definitely, um, like there's, there's no way I can talk about today without thinking about yesterday mm-hmm. I am not who I am tomorrow without being here today yeah right? but also in that I get to tell the person or get to tell the human that was 11 mm-hmm. that you're going to make it to 33 mm-hmm. so the poem should do that too yeah the poem should let the child know hey you made it this far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I know. And there's, <laughs> there's like so much, um, you know, as soon as I said boyhood, I was like, I shouldn't have said that, but I'm still dealing with this. Like, did I have, did I have a girlhood? Like, what was that? Um, and so like the weird, I don't know, the recovery project of your childhood and figuring out. And, um, I mean, it was definitely what was given to me, right. It's like, this is your, this is what you're given. Um, so it's still, oh, it's still hard still thinking about it. That's the other thing. And I like to trouble the waters of boyhood in general. And, um, and that's why I like, there's poems like, um, uh, in defense of boys being boys where the second boy is B-O-I, um, uh-huh. with myself as like, that's the queering of the boy. Right. Yes. So that's like the, the non-binary is, uh-huh. um, which is technically boy, uh, B-O-I boy is a, um, a black lesbian term of, of, uh, butch you know masculine lesbians and I and it's been like kind of split open to this idea of just non-binary queerness or not fitting in the binary of what a girl or a boy would be um and I think a lot of my newer poems which is not what we're here to talk about but a lot of my newer poems are actually really troubling that idea of what it does it look like to become a new person right like what does it look like to be no longer the the boy that I was that my mom knows to be the boy that I am that is a brand new person right boy um but I think the work started here um in your the unicorn kids Mm, thank you so much for saying that and for talking a little bit about etymology of um boy um my kids will say boy (laughs) Um, because um it's it's I think there's so much confusion about this language and um just the way this week it's just the way femme is used I'm just like slapping myself like no don't (laughs) please don't use that with you know and um I think there's a lot of particularly you know um among like cis het <laughs> I want to say like cis het language speakers there's this there's this lack of like knowing about these words and so they're kind of trying them out but not applying them quite correctly and um so I really appreciate you like bringing that out and I feel like that's that's especially cis het um cis het white uh loves to try on languages that really aren't theirs mm-hmm. um so a lot of the language that is popular today comes from ball, ballroom scenes, right? So these yeah. are uh, Black and Brown queer and trans spaces mm-hmm. uh, made specifically because Black and Brown queer people were not acceptable acceptable people to be out in the world in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s now, right? So like mm-hmm. that language, you know, talking about like... Um, the gig talking about you know the just the idea of work you know um uh slay like hunting all these all this language that now like cis het white women love to use and try to you know put it on for themselves it's not their language but it's the same with like just regular queer language um it's not it's it's trendy language right and it puts us on as an accessory which i feel like queer people um, for a lot of people, if you are accepting of a queer person, it is because you want to accept that person to be your accessory, not your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, there's like that movement towards like acknowledging that, oh, this is part of the queer, like the larger queer or gender fluid community. <laughs> there's that movement, but like the fact that so much of this language comes from like the black community is not, I mean, that that's just the next, it's like, it's too far. It's like, keep going, keep going, <laughs> um, like learn. And it's, I mean, it's wild too, right? The fact that so much of this is not taught, like we're not, it's not in schools. We're not learning, you know, like it should be, it should like, you should be learning what, you know, whose language you're appropriating and um, where, what communities this language grows out of, because like, that's where actual work happens when you know, like even just talking with um, Marlanza DeKine the other day about Haint Blue, right? And like the Ligichi, like, like dude, more, more of that, more of that work. Um, 
especially from white readers, I, I really encourage everyone to do some more reading when you use an unfamiliar word or you want to use a word, <laughs> a new word, <laughs> do some reading. I think that's the good nerd impulse to follow is uh, do a little more research. So uh, you open Year of the Unicorn Kids. So you begin with the etymology of cruising before, and then it's got the subheader, before the unicorn kit. And, um, and cruising is, you know, a theme throughout. And we've already talked about safety and as, you know, and lack of safety as being the context for love and violence. And, um, and I was wondering, and I don't know if this is corny, so I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to say it anyways, but you can be like, no, no hand, that's fine. Um, but like, think, I think about poetics a lot. And I think about when I say poetics, um, it can mean a lot of different things to people, but I tend to think of it as just the kind of um, framework the poet is putting forward as like how they want to move through the world with their poems um, or, you know, like, and for me, it's typically models. Like there are models of language I go to, like if it's C.D. Wright or if it's Claudia Rankine, or it's like their forms that I'm like, yeah, I'm like documentary poetics or, you know, um, or, you know, Southern lyric poetics or, or whatever, the first person I or the gathering of many voices and et cetera. Um, so I was wondering if like cruising enters into or engages with your poetics or, or how you would, if you'd be like, no, that's more like just a, something I brush on or, or you like, I don't know. I'm just interested in the way um, like the forms of our lives, you know, become, become real also in our poems. Yeah, um, so specifically for this project, I st it started off as a, a chat book um, that was the, I was thinking about just some, I wrote a couple of cruising poems um, because, you know, although I am a good Christian woman um, and has never cruised in her entire life, um, no, I was like, Taylor Bias um, and I, did a uh, a 30 for 30 in June of all months, right? And it was a form 30 for 30. So every every day was a different form poem. Wow, that's amazing. Right? And I wrote the thing up. Like I was like, this, we'll do this form this day and this form this day. Oh, it was so much work. Um, <laughs> Sounds like it. It was crazy. And, but I entered it was june 2020 and i entered june 2020 thinking i was going to write after a couple of days of june 2020 if you remember what happened then i'm thinking i'm going to write these powerful black pieces about um about george and about you know black lives matter movements and about survival of blackness and in turn I wrote a bunch of cruising poems at first. It took several days. It took, I think, 11 or 12 days of poems before I could write something about Blackness because I was so distraught with this, what was happening. And... And each time, I think when I was younger, when I was like 22, 23, and even um, thinking about when I was, I was in college when Trayvon happened and I was upset enough to put a, a filter on my Facebook, but I was so far removed from it, from myself, because I said, it's not going to be, it wouldn't be me which is not a fair thing to say because I understand it could be me. It very well could be me. And I, I, I knew that then, but like I wanted to live in this. I mean, I was in a white fraternity uh, at the time. Like I was like, you know, I wanted to live in this fantasy world of, you know, I have enough white friends to, to survive. Right. So like I made the quota and not like make the quota. So I'm not black anymore. And it, but like I made the quota so I can at least survive. Mm -hmm. Not understanding that that doesn't matter. 
because I'm young, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I know where I grew up. I grew up around a lot of black people. I, um, I went to school with a lot of black people and I was one of, I was always the, the best one, right? Like they, they were like, oh, you're going to be the one to go to college and do all these things. So like, you're going, you're good. And 2020 hit um, in June and it's different because as I continually watched the black bodies unfold, I knew it could be me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this has been a couple of years of like sitting on this understanding, but I couldn't write, write about it. Right. Um, so all the poems that came out were these like ideas of cruising. And then at the end of each one, I was like, but I still die, but like die differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that I had put my body in situations that I could have been hurt. I could have been injured. There are people, you know, that the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is knowing that for Pulse, I was on the committee for Ann Arbor Pride. I was, no, not Ann Arbor, I'm sorry, uh, Detroit Pride. I was a director for Detroit Motor City Pride. And I was in charge of all of the social media So that means I was at a nightclub until 3 a.m. for an after party for Motor City Pride at the same time a person walked into a nightclub and murdered 49 people. I was at a queer event, same time. That could have been me. And that has looped in my head so much that anytime I do anything that deals with queerness, I say, is this the last act I will ever have? So I was writing those poems towards cruising and towards that at the same time. Um, and in that, in that, um, for that long tangent, I apologize. <laughs> in that, I made this little chat book and I sent it over to Jiyoon and she read it and she was like, this is really good. Uh, you should expand on it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Maybe this could be a full length. Um, and I needed a poem that really like encapsulated the idea of why I'm so afraid, mm-hmm. but also so hungry for the star detention that cruising brings, right? So like why... Why put yourself in this situation if you know there's a chance that the situation will end you? And it comes down to, again, I'm not safe anywhere, but also I'm not, I'm not accepted everywhere. So I can't just go to a, a bar all the time and find someone I want to be with. It's not the same. I can't walk down the streets of, there are many streets I can't walk down holding someone's hand because I'm attracted to them. Mm-hmm. So I have to find people the way I can find people. You have to find them where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, thank you for that. I mean, I think that's for what you, what you were talking about, that does, it does to me sound like a poetics, right? That it's like something that like, undergirds um you're the unicorn kids and it like holds it up and it runs throughout the way I mean I'm always thinking about kind of like fabric metaphors or (laughs) like threads and um you know things that like somehow it's like something that's strong but it's not but it's like soft and (laughs) and flexible and um receptive and um so thank you for that because I mean I think I I can think of a book like I, if I was like thinking about putting like cousin books or books next to yours, I was having a hard time thinking of a, a book that did work um, like Year of the Unicorns in the way that it does. Um, and so I think that's really amazing. You know, like it's like it's, it feels new, like it does. Um, and I think the best poetry always makes me feel like, oh, wow, I didn't think this was possible. Right. Like I didn't think this was possible in poems. Um, which I think is just amazing. So thank you. That means so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm like, I'm blushing over here. 
I, mean, I often don't think that the poems and you know, anyone that follows me on Twitter knows I quit every other day. Um, <laughs> but I often like I write the poems a lot of times from for myself or to like get the poem out. And then like, I'm like, okay, well, I did a poem, you know, no one's going to care about it. So to see people hold the book, to see people talk about the poems, I had someone um, retweet for National Poetry Month that wasn't Stephen, right? So like Stephen Perloin is like my love and, you know, he retweeted my poems. I'm like, okay, it's Stephen, right? But like someone else like followed me and said, this is like one of my favorite poems I've ever read. And I was like, I don't know who you are but thank you so much and that it you know so like hearing that from you means the world to me so thank you thank you for your book would you like to read some more yeah uh i can read you would like me to read uh parts of dead yes love that i can definitely do that so um yes that was a meditation in which i um requeered my youth so what I mean by that is I came out at 23 for most of my young life. I just figured I was very attracted to the idea or the shapes of bodies, which I still am, right? Um, but not necessarily a specific gender. And I didn't know how to explain that. So I just considered myself a straight person that was like, that thought dicks were cool, right? Um, and it took a while for me to understand that. And I, I wanted to write some poems that allowed me to be queer at a younger age. Um, but then I had to like also reconcile with what I lose in that. So this is multiple realities in which I get to be queer and lose. Um, and I'm actually gonna start, you know what I'm gonna do, I'll read, four, five, and six. How about that? Because I never read six um, because I typically want people to buy the book, mm-hmm. but, but I want to read six because I feel like it makes sense. So we'll start from four and we'll go with six. That four. I was once owned by a boy and all I received in return was his guilt. Such a concept, the property of less, how we long so much to own something, let it be the boy poured from a lover's cement. Halprum states, this eternity of stars repeating, whatever you make me swallow, I'll swallow. And in this, I imagine you again in my mouth, a stone turned over by my tongue until it is drenched in my spit and carried down my esophagus. Please tell me what I owe you so I can settle and forget. Memory is another form of debt. I cannot think of debt without thinking of my own inheritance, of what has been gifted, all of its cost, my mother's aching joints, my father's temper, the thrashing caused by my blood when a boy slaps the back of my scalp in in the name of love. I've asked for so much to be bestowed I fear my greed will be rewarded one day with everything it requests. A bladed hand swift to the back of my neck. A boy built from spit and mud and a handful of daggers pointed at my chest. A lullaby that foretells my own unraveling at the swirling of its softest notes tucked tight, coiling my neck. I find in no space I find no space safe for a queer boy to live on this already dying planet. How often I wonder how I inherited such a thing. All this hurt, all these sticks I wish would burn fire. I have watched your mother split your bed into two at least a hundred times over. And in my mind, I know you think of this as the fractioning of your own flesh. She must know something the way she brings in a sleeping bag and extra pillows, the extra knock on the door to ensure we are not just skin and sweat, the husk in your silhouette as we dance around the questions. How did you boys sleep? What time did you get to bed? You both were so quiet. 
how are you both always so quiet? The answer to your question has always been caught in between the stale rot of our kiss. Behind the bite, your mother calls me your best friend in public and you call me your boyfriend in private and I am neither, I am both. I am a wick slow burning at each end and I revel in it, this waxy death. Maybe that is just the grease of greed slick want with want. The answer to your question is you and is not you. My favorite part might be the grief I collect to fill the empty space you leave six to be lipstick and ass and cinched waist bruising my liver to be enough good woman for him to stay another night. I dream of it, legs wrapped in the best part of bacon, tits perked and laying across his chest. I am what he dreams of, a body left safe for consumption. I always wake again in this boy body, the boy bursting from the seams. There is, there is a thicket of evergreen growing at the brim of my stomach. I pick finely at its spruces, letting them brown out at my feet. You planted them for me, a small forest of want, lush greenery shuffling in my gut. I wish to hold you there like potted shrubbery sprouting into my intestines. Whatever you make me swallow, I'll swallow. Even you, or just the sum of your pulsating cock made cedar in me, or maybe just a juniper sweet, your sap syrups its way down, uh, down my palms. I guess the real question is, what am I doing here? Why all this reimagined past carved from the carved from zombie rot flesh? What dead love am I trying to conjure from their faux grave? I remember a poem by Franny Cho that speaks of a multiverse that holds you in it. Maybe a different you, but still sad. I'm just questioning what universe I would choose if given back the magic. The one where my lover, hand sculpted by my lust, has a pulse and a new man. The one where I get to watch my lover die in my arms over and over, replayed in the tape deck of my cornea. The one where the boy tells me he loves me and turns into a gust of leaves sweeping out the front door. I have found no reality where the boy remains mine. I can make another and another until. I carve out the one I want. I don't care the cost. Thank you. Such an incredible poem. And I mean, debt, it ain't on the word cost. I just think it's, and the debt and forget the, some of the rhymes throughout. Um, and the way you vary lightly but I think really importantly touch on environment um in the line I find no space safe for a queer boy to live on this already dying planet like that when you're talking about love and violence and lack of safety like there's that environment that failing environment that's entirely surrounding us um that's also part of the picture it's just thank you yeah thank you jason wow thank you yeah i often think about i think one of the biggest things for me growing up or like growing up queer as a you know 23 plus was how do i do i want children because i'm queer and then do i want children because i don't know what's going to be left for them yeah i know I my had my first child at 26 and I don't I don't think those questions were really on my you know I don't think they were on my mind it was such a like a physical animal urge to have a child and um I mean one of seven so I know what it looks like to see someone's life that is like 
to always give into that impulse to have a child. Like I stopped before I felt like I was done, you know, like I just being like, no, like, first of all, you can't give attention. You can't, you do not have that much attention to give. It just seven. (laughs) No, like some of your children will be neglected. Some of your children will be surrogate parents. Like, like, and I think, you know, that this is absolutely related to year of the unicorn kids. Like, where do you give your attention? It's so, it's so limited. Life is so brief. There's so much that's, um, there's so much that's unsafe. That's so much in our systems that are geared towards harm. Like, do not care that humans are like the sacrifice that are, you know, and especially like, um, certain groups are absolutely targeted. Um, and it's just, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's some, that's some hard work, but I think poetry can do it. Like I just, yeah, poetry can do it. So, um, I really appreciate your poems that, you know, make space for joy that makes space for beauty. Um, that do some like incredibly tender work. Um, and I loved, I loved, um, the other night at your reading with CT Salazar and, um, Kim Sosa, and it was so beautiful. And I'm talking about vulnerability and work and, and tenderness. And, um, Kim Sosa said rage is another expression of tenderness, right. That there are lots of different ways, um, that we can do that work. And sometimes it feels like you feel so mad when you're writing sometimes, or, or some, you know, the feeling that you have when you're writing doesn't always sit the same way on the page. It's very interesting to me, um, that I can look at something that I wrote when I was like really mad and then be like, Oh, that's actually a really calm way to deal with that. So it's actually (laughs) really good. It's a good coping. (laughs) No, you're for sure right. Um, Yeah, I remember writing my poem that is not in the, it didn't make the book, but I wrote a poem for Pulse. And like when I finally like Mm -hmm. was able to like do the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like thinking about how like angry I still was when I was writing this poem, like how outraged I was. And then like I read the poem, I was like, oh, but you know, you, you're okay. You know, (laughs) you made it. Yeah. Mm. I know. Yeah. There was one more thing I was going to was like, oh, I really wanted to know um what what you're up to now. Do you have new projects coming up? Are there um p- you know pieces of work coming out that you want listeners to know about or events that you're really looking forward to or um after April 18th when this will air. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do have, I mean, I will be reading at DePaul University on the 25th. On the 25th, I will be reading um, for ABD at DePaul University, and it will be with uh, Taylor Byatt, um, hosted by Rita um, Mukajiri. I, she's my love. I hope I said your last name right. Um I'm pretty sure I didn't. Mukherjee, that's what it is. Uh, but um, I I will be reading at seven o'clock there, and you know it is open to the public, so uh, you can register. Um, you could check out if you check out my my Instagram. It is linked in my Instagram, so or it will be by the time this comes out because I will make sure of it. Um, so definitely there. Um, I'm really excited to be back in the Midwest, um, in Chicago, a city I love. Um, I visit twice a year um, since I was like 24. Um, so one of my favorite places to be. Uh, I do, I mean, I have some poems coming out, maybe one or two, but uh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, grinding in, in grad school, trying to get done with this degree and then, you know, submitting poems here or there. Hopefully someone wants them. Um, writing manuscripts, hopefully someone wants those too. Yeah. Are you open to solicitation? I'm always open to solicitation. (laughs) If you want me to write for you, please, you can uh, actually, if you go to jasonbcrawford.com, you can definitely go to my little thingy-mabobber and and it comes directly to my email. So come come talk to me and then rate my book on Goodreads. Yes. 
um, Goodreads and um, Amazon is a, you know, I don't, don't buy from Amazon, but definitely rate on Amazon. <laughs> I buy my book last night from Amazon, a, a cohort classmate bought my book from Amazon and no, no shame. I'm not going to say his name. Um, I, I told him why not after, but like, you know, it was just funny. He was like, yeah, I just bought your book from Amazon, but also it was more expensive on Amazon. So definitely don't do that. Don't pay them more money. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I, you know, Sundress is a wonderful press to buy directly from. It's a great, um, and or it's it's at every local bookstore and I am as much as I love supporting presses and I do especially because like mm-hmm. um one person I didn't mention but and you and I have um a connection to is Ross White and like what the work that Ross does and I love buying directly from Ross and making sure mm-hmm. Ross is taken care of but I also love you know making sure Aaron's taken care of but also there's so many bookstores that you know small independent local bookstores mm-hmm. that they're where we get to read and right mm-hmm. a lot of them if it's like where you grew up it's where you first started reading yeah. so like giving them a couple dollars helps them yeah. stay there for other people to start reading absolutely absolutely and um I mean like my my local bookstore Golden Big they have like a dollar media mail shipping anywhere in the, in the you know United States so like that kind of thing I think a lot of people don't realize local bookstores offer but that and curbside pickup like that's really wonderful also you just get to talk to real human people which lord knows we're all so isolated at this point it's wonderful to yes. talk with a human oh, uh, well thank you so much for being here today Jason and uh, we will look forward to all the ways your poetry is going to be in the world Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing and I appreciate you and love you so much, Anne. Thank you. Thank you.